Well, this past week we sent out a survey uh, on our Facebook page asking people to give us their opinion on what they like and don't like. So uh, the first question we had is, do you like the Colts or the Bears better? And uh, overwhelmingly, the jar loves the Colts. Okay? So that was that. Uh, another question we had was surrounding pizza. Uh, pizza King or Greek's Pizza? Which one would you pick? Pizza King. Yeah, like people yelled it in the first. Uh, pizza King. Uh, another question we had uh, surrounded donuts. Um, do you like Jack's Donuts or Con Cannon's? What do you think they picked? Oh, my. Look at that. Okay. Uh, so that was it. And then the last one was our closest kind of rivalry, and it was the Caffeinery, which is downtown, or Starbucks, and Starbucks won. Uh, so that was it. Well, today we're beginning a brand new series, and we're going to be looking at a person's life, a guy by the name of David, who faced many different rivals in his life and how he dealt with them. There are all kinds of these rivals uh, that David uh, uh, experienced, and what happens is every time there's a rival in your life, it tries to take the attention and focus away from your relationship with God. And these rivals still exist today. They're in your life. They may disguise them in different ways, but the reality is they're here. So my prayer and my hope is is that throughout this series, we would be brave enough and we would gain a little bit more courage to be able to go head on and face our rivals regardless of what they are. Now today, again, we're going to look at a guy by the name of David who's the only person in the entire Bible who was named a man after God's own heart. And 3,000 years ago, his story began while there was an enemy country uh, called uh, the Philistines, and they were coming inland to take over Israel. And so as they came, they would take mountain after mountain and valley after valley, and word finally came back to the king who was further inland in his palace, a guy by the name of Saul, that things were coming down to a head. That war was looming around the corner. And so the king quickly rallies all of his soldiers together, and they say, hey, we've got to go take them on. And this all took place uh, in the Valley of Ella. And we're going to leave this picture up at different times, and it'll come back. But basically, uh, the Israelites are here where all of these archaeological stones were, and so there were thousands and thousands of soldiers. And then on this other mountainside over here were the Philistines. And in between was this valley, and it will be important for us to see where the war is going on as we go through this. Now, every single morning and evening, all of the Israelites would spend time worshiping and praising God and offering sacrifices to their God. But there was one particular man that was from this side who would walk down the mountain, would actually get to the valley and almost take a step on this side, and he would actually start to talk trash to the Israelites. But more than anything else, he would sling insults to the God that Israel was worshiping. 
But he wasn't just any man. He was a battle-tested warrior who was gigantic, and he was a giant named Goliath. Now, most of us kind of hear the story of David and Goliath, and it's kind of a, a child Bible story, or maybe you've heard about it, about a big guy and a little guy, and the little guy beat the big guy. But there's so much more to it than that, and we want to kind of uncover that today as we look at this story. Now, the Bible says that uh, Goliath was six cubits tall. Uh, if you kind of equate that into feet and inches, he was nine feet, nine inches tall. He wore this big bronze helmet, and he had a coat of scale of armor that literally weighed 125 pounds. You know the little bar that if you're bench pressing, that weighs 45, and I can hardly even get it off sometimes, okay? So, I mean, I got guns, not really. Um, and he had this javelin that was on his back that he would carry around, and on the iron point of it, it weighed 600 shekels, which is 15 pounds on front of this long javelin. So he's six cubits tall. He's got these 600 kind of shekels that he's holding on to his javelin. And we're told that Goliath and his brother had six fingers and six toes. This is what I want you to know. That's a lot of sixes, yo. Like, that's just tons of sixes. Now, what's that about? Well, if you were a person of the Hebrew uh, country of Israel, um, six was the most unholiest number in the language. And so if you were an ancient reader and you started reading this story and you're like, oh, here's a six and there's a six and here's a six, six, six there. I mean, and there's this kind of like snake kind of, uh, you know, uh, scales coming off this guy? Well, this guy, we know that he is evil. Now, quick time out for a second. How tall did I say Goliath was? Some of you are like, I don't know. I, don't know. I was texting. You told me to text, Bunch. I don't know. Um, he was nine feet tall, nine inches. Okay? Now, on a good day, folks, if everything is aligned in this 48-year-old body, I'm 5'11". Okay? That's it. doesn't get any more than that. Uh, Michael Jordan, who was considered maybe the best basketball player, was six foot six. LeBron James, who's trying to take his title, is six eight. Shaquille O'Neal is seven foot one. Goliath was 32 inches taller than Shaq. So this is a big man. And his wardrobe weighed, uh, weighed over 100 pounds. And when Goliath speaks, all he does is talk trash. They're up here. Goliath is over there. He walks down, walks a little bit up on the edge, and he talks trash to the Israelites. Now, Goliath knows that when the nation is praying and they're offering their sacrifices to God, that this is the most holy time, and he doesn't care. And one day... He decides, I'm just going to do what we do here in the ancient Near East. I'm going to challenge them mano a mano if any of them are 
courageous enough to take me on. And so he comes over here and he says, who wants to take me on? And you see, in the ancient Near East, the way that they handled fights were so that everyone didn't die. They would just pick their ultimate warrior from one country, one army, and the ultimate warrior from the other, and they would come and they would fight, and it would be MMA to the death. You know, there's no tapping out. It's either you live or you die. And so he's challenging this kind of thing, and then if you won, you took over the army of the defeated person. Now, again, each day, Goliath would come from this place, go down the valley, come up, and start talking trash to a point where Saul and the rest of the Israelites, something started to happen inside them. Something came that we find in the story. And it's in 1 Samuel 17. It says, When Saul, who's the king, and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified and what? What's it say? How much hope? All hope. They lost all hope. And then it goes on to say this. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in what? What's it say? Great fear. So they have no hope, and all they have is great fear. Folks, where in your life today are you overwhelmed by fear? What is the giant that you're facing in your life? What is the Goliath that you're experiencing? Is it a specific relationship where there's been a breakdown and now all of a sudden there's a struggle there? Is it a coworker or a boss that you just can't seem to confront or stand up to? Is it a fear that you won't be loved or is it a fear of giving love to someone else? Or is it a hidden addiction that no one else knows but you know and it's destroying your life moment by moment by moment? Or is it a calling that God has on your life? He's called you to do something and you keep hesitating. You ignore it. You don't follow through with what it is. Folks, I want you to know it's always good to be able to to name the giant in your life. I've learned also that what's even more important than naming what it is, is to name what is underneath it, what is beneath the thing that you're overwhelmed by. I mean, what prevents you and I from going against and tackling the giants in our life? Well, I think that for most of us in this auditorium, the number one rival that you have in your life is not other people or things or that kind of stuff, but it's one word, and here's the word, fear. It's the worst four-letter word in the English language, fear. And it's your first fill-in, or you can do it on our app at the App Store as well. You see, folks, fear is this kind of toxic force that consumes planet Earth. It's a disease. It's a plague. It's contagious. Fear is subversively kind of wiping out generation after generation after generation. And whether you like it or not, the greatest rival that you have in your life is fear. Now, back to the story. When Goliath 
realizes no one's doing this, for 40 days he comes up and he gets closer and closer and he's talking trash. 40 days he comes over asking, who is it that will fight me? And at this time, there is someone that enters the story that we have not heard about. There's a guy by the name of David who comes into this story of the battle that we learned a little bit about his family, but the focus has been mainly on his older brothers. You see, his older brothers have gone off to this war, and they're here on the battlefield, but David is at home taking care of the family business, shepherding sheep. His mom and his dad create a nice little care package for the, th- for the uh, older sons, and he goes ahead and they send it to David and ask him to go to the battle line to give it to them and to come back with a report on how the war is going. So early the next morning, after David gets this from his parents, he runs off, he finds uh, the person who holds all of the supplies, he brings these care packages of food to them and gives it to them. Then he runs down a little bit further to see where his brothers are. They embrace one another, and there's this reunion that takes place. And as they get a little bit further down, all of a sudden, Goliath walks over, and the people and the soldiers who are down there don't stay there. They run in fear back up to the top of their mountainside. And when they get back to the top, the Israelites are saying this to one another. Man, I'm afraid. Are you afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid too. But you know what? The king, this is what I found out. The king told us that he is willing to give a lot of wealth to anyone who will defeat Goliath. And that also, he'll give his daughter, you'll become a part of the royal family. And also, this person and their entire family will never have to pay taxes again. Shoot, if I don't have to pay taxes again, I'm going, you know? Well, David overhears the men talking about this reward, and he enters the conversation. But he's just a little pimple-faced teenager. These are warriors that he's talking to, too. And the more they talk about it, he's like, Why are we talking? Why don't we go take him out? He's defying the Lord our God. Our God will go and fight for us. And as he's up there talking with a whole bunch of guys, his oldest brother, Eliab, hears all this going on, and he burns with anger, and he comes and he says this, David, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came only to watch the battle. He's saying, I know how conceited. I know how wicked you are. I know you think you're mom and dad's, you know, best son. But you're not. Can you feel the love tonight? You know, It's like this sibling rivalry takes over. And folks, this is what I want you to see in this part of the text so far, is that look how easy it is for fear to spread. When you get curious and you decide you're going after something in your life and it's risky, but you're going to do it anyway, what you'll find is there are many people that will try to take you 
down. Because if you admit your willingness to take a risk, then they have to admit their willingness to resist what's going on. For example, I never get this. People will make good choices to try to get healthy. Especially I see it with women. Women will start losing weight and, you know, all of a sudden they look better, they're healthier, everything's going well, and everyone else, all the other women look around and go, well, who does she think she is? Why is she she showing herself all up in here? And here's someone like trying to make good choices, the right thing, and everyone's like attacking the person. Like, I don't get it. Or you make a decision to go after the things of God, and this is what I'll, I'll tell you, folks. You will find a few people to embrace it, but many people will try to shut you down. You see, when we first started the jar, we started with six people in my home, and it was tough, and it was difficult. And there weren't a lot of people that were ready to embrace it. There were more people saying, this isn't going to make it. It's not going to happen. Well, as David hears all of this naysaying, he senses fear from the troops. And he realized that they were on the land that God had given them. Like the Philistines had come down this mountain and were in the land that God had given to them. You see, this is the truth, folks. We'll go to the next slide. One person's pursuit of God will trump an entire nation's fear. That's what we're going to find out. One person's pursuit of God will trump an entire nation's fear. Now, I can imagine that when this is all going on, that Surely one person would stand up, but no one ever does. But rumors start spreading around. Well, it's not a soldier, but it's a a shepherd kid. And and he and he's like, I don't know about that. He's like, how about this guy? How about Ed? How about Fred? How about, you know, Joe? How about, they're they're brave warriors. One of them are going to do it, right? No. Well, well, who is it? Well, you look over there. You see that pimple-faced teenager? Yeah. He says he's willing to take on the giant. And all of a sudden, Saul looks at him and is like, say, what? Him? That little guy? No way. Well, tell him to come over here. And so they bring David to him. And look at the powerful words that David shared. He says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And I can imagine that Saul just starts like breaking out in laughter. Like, really? He's nine foot nine inches tall. You're barely five feet. And uh, seriously, this is it? And then he goes on to say, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are little more than a boy. And he has been a warrior from his youth. Listen to Saul's language. Saul's like, You can't do this. You can't make it. You're going to fail. His whole language is a language of fear. But David, a man after God's own heart, looks the king straight in the eyes, and this is what he says. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep. 
When the lion and the bear turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I killed it. I'm not afraid because this giant has defiled the armies of the living God. Folks, every time that David chased the bear, every time he conquered the lion, it was just preparation to take out the giant. Each battle, he was gaining confidence. Each battle, he had a deeper trust in God. And you know what? This is the truth. I have a feeling that if he would have said no to the bear, if he would have said no to the lion, when he got to the, to the giant, guess what he would have said? No, I can't do it. You see, before you ever face the giant, folks, some of you simply need to take a little risk when the fear comes into your life to conquer the bear, to conquer the lion. And this is often when you find these moments. Greatness is made in the wilderness. Deep trust in God is rooted in those moments in the dark. Let me say that again. Greatness is made in the wilderness. Deep trust in God is rooted in those moments in the dark. The reason you're sitting here today, folks, because in the midst of darkness, when the church was first forming, and we were very small, and there weren't very many people, and there wasn't much growth that was taking place, it was in the wilderness that we kept on saying, we're going to trust you, God, though. We're going to trust you. Let me ask you, what is the lion that you've conquered? What's the last bear that you've gone after? Or do you find yourself, when the bear or the lion come, you find yourself tiptoeing back, trying to hide, trying to get away, rather than facing the fear? Well, David was not going to let fear win. You see, Saul, after hearing David's commitment to go after the giant, he looks at him straight in the eye, and Saul says these words, Go, and may the Lord be with you. That may be the, the best words that Saul ever said in his life. Go, and may the Lord be with you. You know, these are words that sometimes are a struggle for you and I to say. Question for you. How often are you more like David's older brother and Saul, and you, when people come to you with something, you, have a find, you find a way to crush their hope? You say, well, you can't accomplish that. That's not going to work. That's not going to happen. Folks, what stops us from being a people that says, when someone comes to us, go for it. God will be with you. Go for it. Well, right after Saul says those words to David, he kind of grabs him and he says, but wait, 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 wait. I've got something for you, David. Wait, I need to show you something. And in verse 38, this is what we're told. Then Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. 
David tried to walk, but he could hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. So Saul, this giant person, this king of Israel comes, he puts all of his battle armor on David, and all of a sudden David's like, I'm ready. And David's like, this isn't going to work. Like, this is not going to work at all. And so he takes all of it off. Can you imagine what would have happened to David if he would have come with all of that on there when he faced Goliath? What do you think would have happened? Killed. Destroyed. He couldn't have been able to do it. I mean, you can't fight Goliath, folks, at his own game. And so David says, this isn't me. That's your stuff. You take it. I have what I need. I've got a sling. Now here's what you need to know. As for the bears and for the lions and for the giants in your life. Let me say that again. As for the bears and the lions and the giants in your life, you already have what you need. You don't need something more. God has been preparing you up into whatever the fear is that you're struggling with right now, and He wants to give that to you. Your sling, what is it? Your sling might be your story. Your sling might be your pain. Your sling might be a gift that God has given to you. Don't try to go after the giant Goliath with somebody else's stuff. You use the gifts that God has given you the sling for you. Now here's the truth. David knows that God is for him and that God is preparing him for this moment. He knows that God has, had protected him from the bear and from the lion and now he'll protect me from the giant as well. And he goes, I had this sling and I took them down and so if the sling was good enough for the bear and the lion, the sling will be good enough for the giant. So let me ask you, where you're sitting right now, what's your sling? What has God given to you? What is it that He's used in you, in your past, in your story, to overcome the bear, to overcome the lion, and now to face whatever that giant fear is? Now, most of the time, again, this story is told so often that when we think of David and Goliath, we think of a sling that looks kind of like a little kitty sling like this. Uh, most of us have had one of those. You know, you, you kind of take it and you go, and sometimes, you know, the straps don't work or they put a Nerf ball in there. Like, what kind of damage is that going to do? Well, what happens in our culture is when we think of a slingshot, that's what we think of. And so the story of David and Goliath it just kind of feels kind of fake. Like, how could this happen? But in David's day, a sling actually was a crucial weapon that marksmen used. Scripture tells us that Saul's tribes were perfection in this. They were marksmen. They could fire and shoot a sling and take out an enemy. But the problem is, is that all of them are afraid to use the sling, and so they all run away. 
Saul's men should have been the first ones to take their slings and go after Goliath, but they're holding back. And the reason is, is because they're overwhelmed by the fear that's happening in their lives. And so what's David do? He says, I'm not going to be afraid. And so he picks up some rocks. He picks up five of them. Now you might ask, well, why five? Why are you, you know, going up and against a giant? Maybe you need like a hundred, you know, like, or have a couple people there giving you rocks ready to go. Well, this is, if you're a rabbi, if you're a teacher of the law during this time, when you hear these word of five stones, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get it. It's like one stone for each of the five books of the law. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's why there's five stones. And David puts all of these stones in his pouch, and Jerusalem's stone is, is hard, but it's dense, and so he puts a smooth stone finally in a sling, and it wasn't this kitty sling, it was actually, it looked more like this sling that I saw this week from Egypt that they found from this similar time. And what would happen is you have these two large leather straps and on the end this kind of pouch that you would put your rock in. And it wasn't one of these little, ding, oh, I hope I got somebody. It was these two leather straps that you would start swinging and you would get a revolution uh, going. And these revolutions, you get going, going, and farther and farther and stronger and stronger and stronger. And then you crack your wrist and scholars believe that many times when the rock took off, it would take off at 125 miles an hour. And these great marksmen could do this from roughly 150 to 200 feet away. And so they find their target, and it wasn't like, oh, it didn't work. What happened here, okay? They've got these leather straps, and they're taking it. And they're going and going and going. And then all of a sudden, they let loose, and bam! And this is the kind of sling that David would have had. And the gifts that God had given him in this, he says, this is enough. And he approaches, he approaches the giant, and the giant says this to him. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Ha, ha, ha. I mean, he looks at David, he's like, you're just a pimple-faced, geeky little kid. This is what you're bringing to me? And Goliath cursed David by his gods. Come here, come here, little boy, so I can feed you to the birds of the air and the wild animals. And then David said to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and the whole world will know that there is one God and He's the God of Israel. Folks, this is what I know. When you overcome a fear in your life, the world will notice. And this is what I also know. If you choose to be consumed by a fear, the world will never notice. Because we live in a world where fear runs rampant. And David is like, no, 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 no. 
I might be a little boy, big giant, but I'm willing to fight, not because I think I can do something, but because I have faith in the Almighty God to take you out. And one day the world will know this. So Goliath moves a little bit closer. And he moves closer. And all of a sudden, David starts running straight towards him. He's not afraid at all. He gets his rock, he puts it in there, and he starts the revolutions. And they're going, and they're going, and they're going, and they're going, and they're going. And then all of a sudden, he cracks his wrist. And all of a sudden, it flies, and it flies, and it hits the giant in the forehead. And this is what the Scripture says. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell Face down. I love this. It's in his forehead, people. It's like sunk up in there. It's all up in his head. It's kind of gross. I think it's cool, you know. It's like in his forehead. And then all of a sudden, it says the giant Goliath fell face first. To the ground. Again, we read that and the story goes on, but if you're a rabbi and you're looking at that, you're like, ah, I get it. Uh, If you're a religious teacher of that day, you're like, oh man, there's so much more here. The scriptures at this time are the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, and in that it says that the Torah, the law, The first five books should be on your forehead if you're a follower of the one true God. And this giant has defied God. And now he gets the stone representing one of those books of the Torah. And it gets implanted, sunk into his forehead. And the scriptures say that Goliath fell face down. And if you are a religious leader during that time and you're reading that, all of a sudden you start laughing because it's kind of comical. Here's somebody that was insulting, putting down God, and now he's face down worshiping the one true God. He's bowing to God. And it was simply because one person chose to conquer a bear late at night when he was little. And then he took on a lion. And then when the giant came, it prepared him to overcome his fear. You know, I think for most of us, we're held in check by fear because we don't know how to overcome it. How do we overcome fear? So I just want to share a couple of things real quick. How do you overcome fear? The first one is you acknowledge your fear but you choose to trust God. If you're filling this in or it's in on your mobile device, the only thing you put on so far is fear. And most of the time what we do is we see fear and we're like, ah! But we never acknowledge it and we never choose to trust God. Sometimes we just get stuck in the fear. Now, I'm not saying that when you have fear in your life that it isn't real. I'm not saying you should go through life going, I am not afraid, I am not afraid, I will never be afraid, la, 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 la. No, you got some fears. Some of you have legitimate reasons why to be afraid. 
But you need to acknowledge it and then trust in God. You choose to say, God, I know you'll be faithful in the midst of this. So let me give you an example of what David did. You see, he took out the giant, but then later on, the people start cheering for him, and we'll talk about this next week, and so you want to come back and bring somebody. But they start cheering for him more than they cheer for the king, Saul. And Saul gets upset because when you're a king, you don't want to lose your crown. And so he gets more and more upset, and so he's finally like, we're going to take David out. And it's like the President of the United States getting all of the CIA, the FBI agents, all the military, and they're coming after you. And that's what David is experiencing. So what did David do in the midst of this? Well, in Psalm 56, this is what the Scripture says. David says, My adversaries pursue me all day long. All day long, constantly going after him. In the morning, at night. And he says, In their pride, they are attacking me. Then he's honest enough to be able to say, But when I am afraid, In other words, sometimes the giants in our life become so great that we get fearful of them. And sometimes we're so afraid. But when I am afraid, David says, I will trust in you. By faith, I choose to trust in you. I choose to trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. And then he says these words, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? David says, I choose to trust God. I put my faith in Him. What can people do to me? And some of you might say, well, people can do a lot of bad stuff to us. You're right, they are. But we should not be afraid. And David, he's like, I'm praying this, but I'm still afraid because Saul and the whole country and all the soldiers are coming after me. And then he remembers back to the time with the giant. And he said, hey, you got me through this. You'll help me now. David is like, they can't do anything for me, against me. Folks, I want to challenge you to acknowledge your fear, but then to trust in God. Because this is what I found. The closer and the closer and the closer I get to God, the less fear I have in my life. But the more and more I get away from God and I ignore Him and I do my own thing, the greater the fear. You just acknowledge it and say, God, I choose to trust You no matter what. Well, that's the first thing. The second thing that I want to challenge you to do is to seek God until He takes away your fear. That you seek God and seek God and seek God and seek God and seek Him until He takes away your fear. You seek Him, first of all, in His Word. That's why we want to challenge you to read the Bible, not because we're like, ah, make your life miserable. Read this book. No! It's reading this book because this book actually gives you encouragement, and there's a lot of ways to overcome fear when you're in that, when you're praying that you would maybe get a part of a small group. Some of you... This summer we're having small groups that meet for cookouts and you should be a part of one. I mean, you come for free food, they, they'll be nice to you, there's no like weirdness and you could all of a sudden go, hey, maybe I need some people around me who are going to build me up and you can 
sign up for that today if you want. But you seek Him in the morning at night until He takes away your fears. Look at this powerful verse in which uh, David gives us these words. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from how many fears? How many is all? Like all. You can't quantify it. It's just all of them. I sought the Lord and he delivered me. He removed and he took away all my fears. The first year that my wife Jennifer and I were married, She was in medical school here in Muncie, and I lived near Lafayette. And we only saw each other on the weekends, and typically it was just one day. And I had two small country churches that were filled with people who were loving and kind, and they'd invite me over to eat all the time and take care of all my needs, and just wonderful people. And Jennifer was over in Applegate Apartments right off of Tillotson Avenue, in a single one-bedroom apartment all by herself. And during this time of isolation and separation, Jennifer started getting very discouraged, and she became consumed by fear. Fear of her classes, fear of failure, fear of loss, fear of what a future would be. And it all kind of hit the fan one particular night when we had gone to have dinner with my parents who were living in Anderson. And we had dinner, and dinner was done, and usually Jen's the first person to like start to clean up the dishes and get everything ready, and she just kind of walked away and went upstairs. And uh, so I said, okay, well, I'll help, and we kind of got the dishes done. And all of a sudden, I started hearing crying that was taking place from upstairs. And so as a new husband, I walked up the stairs, I looked into the bathroom, and my wife was flat on the floor, crying and crying and crying. And she looked up to me, and she said, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't do it. It's too much. I'm dying, Chris. I'm dying. I reached down and I simply just held her and just held her in my arms for what seemed like 30 minutes. And I got her up and we got her some help. She went to a physician. She got put on some antidepressant medicine. She went to some counseling and some counselors tried to help her. And all of a sudden we saw some movement, but she was still very afraid. And all of a sudden things weren't working out exactly the way that we thought. We thought the medicine and the counseling would be enough. But it wasn't. And then all of a sudden my wife did something that was remarkable. And she just started seeking God to take away her fear. And she sought God and she sought God and she sought God. Um, one of the things that's funny now that we look back on this time, her medical books after the first year when we got ready to move her because she moved to where I was living in the second year, half of the books were still in cellophane. She had never opened up these books. 
But if you looked at her Bible at that time, it was highlighted and circled and all kinds of stuff because through prayer and Scripture, she was seeking God. And finally, God overcame her fear. And after a year, she, she did not battle with depression since then. Now, I want to be sensitive enough to say, for some of you, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'll just do that and I'll get off my meds. That would be stupid. Because for some of us, we may need that for a lifetime. For some of us, we need counseling right now. But for Jennifer, I'm telling you, all we know is that God healed her fear and she has not had to battle that since then. There are many times that I myself go through things and I don't respond like my wife. To be honest, when I look at Jennifer's faith, it disgusts me. I mean, I'll get anxious and worried about anything, and I'll be overwhelmed by it, and she'll be like, oh, it'll be okay. Remember when God did this, and God did this, and everything will be fine? I'll be like, no, I'm just afraid. And she'll be like, no, 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 no. Like, remember these times. God's got this. We can get through this together. And He will come through again. And Jennifer faced her greatest fears, and she got And she sought God, and He delivered her from her fears. Last thing. Pray openly and honestly for boldness. That you would pray openly and honestly for boldness. When the early church began, one of the things they needed was boldness, because Jesus, while He was On earth, everything was fine, but then he died, and he rose again, and they were so excited, but then he said, I'm leaving my Holy Spirit and power with you, but I am going to ascend back to heaven. And so now all of a sudden the disciples are by themselves. But there were two of these guys, and many more, who were foolish enough to believe that they could have the same power that Christ had given. And so these two guys named Peter and John... They start walking around asking God's power. And all of a sudden, they start praying for people. And people are healed and miracles take place. And this amazing kind of energy is taking place through the power of Christ in them. Well, when this happened, the religious leaders were not happy about this at all. And they actually go to Peter and John and they're like, we are going to make some threats towards you that if you don't stop saying the name of Jesus Christ, that what we're going to do is we're going to take you out. So Peter and John, they're kind of afraid and so they go back to the church and they're like, hey, what are we going to do and what do you think the early church did? They prayed for boldness. Acts 4 says this, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great, and what's the next word? Boldness. Folks, today, if fear is holding you in check, if fear is consuming your life, if you feel like you're being robbed of life, you can come with a bold prayer. If you find yourself shrinking back, tiptoeing back, hiding, not going towards the fear, if you find yourself ducking, 
running for cover. In just a moment, we're going to pray that God would remove every fear that's in this place. Now, some of you, there's something going on in your life right now. There is a fear that you have, and you haven't shared it with anyone. But God knows. Maybe you're fearful of your finances. You're fearful you're going to lose your job. You're fearful that one of your kids is off on a wrongward way. You're fearful of the future. You're fearful of a relationship that's going south right now. And you're consumed by just a sense of fear. For others of you, God's been calling and asking you to do something in your life. And you have been ignoring that call on your life. And you just sit So whatever your fear is, I want to give you a moment right now to ask God, God, what is the fear in my life that you want me to surrender to you? And then we're going to pray that that fear would be gone. So if you would, I'd like you to just take a moment quiet yourself before God. I pray right now, God, whatever the greatest fear is that people are experiencing right now, that you would bring that to their mind. Help them to acknowledge it. pray for a spirit of boldness right now to move within this church. I pray that we wouldn't be afraid of the bears or the lions, but we would simply see them as opportunities to overcome this giant that we're experiencing now. And so today, right now, if you're consumed with one or more fears, going to ask you to do something bold right now. We're going to invite everybody to stand because we all have fears, so everybody please stand. But if there's a fear in your life right now, as we're praying every eye closed, if there's a fear in your life right now that you no longer want to be hostage to, that you want to be set free from that fear today, If that's you today, if there's something in your life that is weighing you down, and you want to give it to God, and you want to acknowledge the fear, but to trust in Him more, I invite you to just raise your hand. Can you just raise your hand? Hands up here. I see it all up here, up in the balcony. Just raise your hand. Let me pray for you right now. God, through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would remove every fear of the hands that are represented. God, you know what it is they're going through, but you have told us that you have not given us a spirit of fear. And so I pray right now, God, I pray that you would set your people free from fear, that they would no longer be slaves to it, but they would find freedom and 
today. In Christ's name, you can put your hand.